This is Kevin Pruitt interviewing my friend, long-term friend, Glenn Hertzfield on the Rising Tide Startups Podcast. Glenn, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. So give me a short bio or give our, give our listeners, I have, I know the short bio, but give our listeners a kind of a short one or two minute, uh, this is who Glenn Hirchfield is. Right. So, um, well, I'm 56 years of age. Um, I'm like you're 36. That's very kind of you to say. This is one of those things that can only ever be done on the radio. Though, <laughs> <laughs> so um, I was born in the UK. Um, I'm half Scottish, half English. Um, was raised uh, around London. Um, at 11 years of age, I went to a, a sports school. So uh, in the UK, they have a number of schools that specialize in sport. And the idea is that if you show some promise, you get pushed off to a school, particularly if you can play soccer. Um, so I went off to a sports school, uh, which I loved. Um, I was in the boarding school environment until I was 18. Um, didn't quite make any of the sports professionally. <clears throat> um, I'd like to tell you that there was some great circumstance which prevented that, but actually I wasn't really good enough for any of the sports that I had. Um, but um, I had the choice at 18 whether I went to university and I decided not to do that um, because being in a boarding school environment for many years, you, it was time for me to get out into the real world. So I, at 18, started at AIG um, on a graduate program. Um, they promised to show me the world. Um, I only saw Croydon, which is a bit like in the U.S., saying that you started in Detroit and they didn't let you out. Uh, <laughs> now, AIG, so, AIG is an insurance company? It is. Okay. It is. And um, so, so I then spend the rest of my life uh, in insurance, and we'll talk about what I do now, I guess, in a minute. But um, the, the career, has been, I've been very blessed throughout my career, and a number of things that have happened which have uh, led me to where I am today, which is I, today I help to uh, buy and sell businesses, particularly in the financial, uh, the financial markets. Um, I have a beautiful family, uh, three beautiful children, a beautiful wife, Michelle, and an incredibly supportive extended family. So I speak to you as a very blessed and contented man. So tell me the, uh, let's, let's do the, the quick, um, I guess, pathway from, age 18 to today. So how, how long were you in the corporate side of things? And then when did you shift more toward the, say, the entrepreneurial side? Okay. So, so um, having got through the AIG experience, realizing they weren't going to let me out of Detroit, um, <laughs> I, I moved into becoming a broker or an agent, as you would say in the US. Mm -hmm. So that's an insurance agent. And um, so I learned that, that world. And just through chance, I I was given the opportunity quite early on in my career to go and see another business about the possibility of buying them. Um, and I had no great skill set to speak of. I think I, I was mobile. I had a car. Um, and I probably <laughs> felt that, um, that I would be able to communicate well with the, the person in the other business. And sure enough, we did that deal. Um, I'm not sure I did a particularly great job, but we did the deal. And that was my first, my first experience of, uh, getting involved in buying a business. And you were um, what age at that time? Approximately? I would have been uh, 24. Okay, wow. So quite young, quite young. Now, just a health warning on that. So this is before computers really kicked in into the commercial world. And um, so we, we bought a business 
Uh, and depending on the size of it, we, we were buying paper files effectively. So right. this was buying an insurance business, buying the records of each of each client. So um, we would, whereas today you would just do a transfer by computer. Uh, in those days, you'd have to get a great big van and pick up the files. And <laughs> so it's quite different to how things how things are today. So you and I understand that. You you and I understand that pain. Yeah. Our, our younger yeah. listeners will have no idea what we're talking about. Correct. Correct. They'll just think who are these. Who are these dinosaurs? Who are these curmudgeons? That's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, so so yeah, I, I had the opportunity to do that at a very very young age, and that then set me up to um, I did I probably I guess now uh, thirty years later, I've got through maybe seventy five uh, transactions where I've been involved in either buying and or selling businesses. But but in the early days, um, this was always doing it for somebody else. This was doing it for the person that paid my check. Um, and buying businesses, particularly at that point, was a very different uh, discipline. So, so that that continued until um, till two thousand and six. So I had ve- and, and my career was very blessed, and I went through you know one role to another role to another role till I was effectively running uh, insurance businesses. Um, a lot of my pals would argue that that just goes to show that any fool can succeed in insurance <laughs> with perseverance. And, that's right. Yeah. But um, there's a great, there is a great, um, there is a great uh, gag actually about insurance people, and that is that somebody at a dinner party is discussing um, what they do and uh, talking about degrees, and this guy said, "Well, yeah, if you get a good first class degree, you go into law, maybe uh, engineering. A good second class degree, you might go into stockbroking." finance, um, a third class degree, it might be the arts or something similar, and everyone else goes into insurance. <laughs> and there is there is some degree of truth for that. Anyway, I digress. So we um so so got two thousand and eight was a, a really pivotal point in my in my career. So I got involved in a startup business. Um, and we had a pile of cash from a US backer, an individual um, and we were very blessed to have that. But then the, the crash happened and he withdrew his financial support. And I was placed in a position for the first time in my life of having to go and raise the capital for my mm, own business. Right. At so a very what, difficult time. Yeah. So the markets are falling down around everyone's ears at this time. Um, capital is running to the hills. Um, it would not be the time uh, to set up your own new business. Um, but but plans are never really made in that way. We, we deal with what we, with the debt that we, that we have in front of us. So um, I went out into the markets trying to raise the money. I had two choices, basically. Either go get a proper job or go raise the money myself for this, for this venture. And I chose the latter path, A, because I believed in the plan, and B, because I, because I felt that there would be someone that would, that would also see the, the value in what we were trying to do. Even um, with tight financial markets, even with tight capital out there correct yeah. correct 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 and, and we were trying to build a a european version of a company based in san antonio uh in the states a business called usaa so it was a business that was serving the armed forces so right. lots of really good reasons why you would want to do that but and more lots, in europe more in europe right in europe exactly right and um so i went out to raise capital and although i had done many transactions i ought to have known my stuff i was useless i was really poor at raising capital I, I i was green i was a novice i didn't have a clue really what i was doing and um but um 
I'm I'm half Scottish, half English. And I think the Scottish side of me came out, which is being a bit stubborn and maybe a bit of resilience. And I stuck at it. I believed in the plan. I learned quickly from all this, the schoolboy errors I made along the way in terms of trying to raise capital. And then I met some very, very good people who also maybe uh, partly believed in the plan. Maybe they, they liked what they saw in my, uh, my passion for the plan. And we got there and we got it funded. Um, and the business launched and we subsequently sold the business. So that it was at that point I moved from being uh, somebody that was just worked in insurance, ran insurance companies to somebody that was sort of going into the world of private equity, into venture capital, into uh, business angels. So in other right. words, I was going out with a begging bowl. Anyone that had cash in their pocket, I was going out and talking to. So I was, to use a fairly crude expression, I was uh, kissing frogs and schmoozing wherever I possibly could <laughs> to, raise, to raise capital. Um, so it's not what I would recommend, but but we got there. Well, you you mentioned something a minute ago, and I'm I'm trying to to uh, I think you were talking about you know you you mentioned you were very green or you were very you know a rookie or how, what I don't remember the exact term you used, but I mean it just kind of dawned on me that at at that stage isn't everyone at some stage green in whatever right. discipline we you know we're starting in so. Um, yeah. I, I love the uh, the Scottish perseverance and stubbornness that that you know came to the forefront, and it's amazing that that uh, you know when you need that that character quality, it's there. You know when you needed that that side of you that that uh, the the stubborn um, and that's an, that's an overgeneralization. This you know stubborn Scott in you, but but yeah. that's exactly yeah. right. I mean it's it was it was what you know kind of walked you through that process at that time. So. Well, I joke, I joke um, that I went to a university where the ratio of boys to girls was about 30 boys to every one girl. So when you went to a dance, I got used to girls saying no. <laughs> uh, and uh, that, I, never, I had no idea that that would hold me in such good stead when I went into my commercial <laughs> life. And in 2008, 2009, I got used to people saying no and pretty much in those proportions, in those ratios as well. Wow. One yes to every 30, 30 meetings. So but you have an empty dance card. You know that's <laughs> nothing's wasted. Yeah, nothing is yeah. wasted. No, that's right. But, but look, I agree with you that um, if you were to, um, from my story and everyone's story is different, but you would say that um, to use a golfing analogy, that the fifteenth club in your bag, uh, from a business point of view, is resilience and perseverance. Mm -hmm. um, it's never going to go in a linear way whereby everything happens exactly as you planned. And when the, the going gets tough, then that's the time and th then you have to take in and make sure that you, you're up for the fight and that you believe in what you're doing because things will never ever be easy all the way through a new business, a new venture, or whether you're maybe not in your own business, but you know, you're working in a corporation. It's just, that's just the reality of, the wor of working life. Right. Well, I want to uh, just remind our listeners: uh, this is a little unique interview. This is this is a little different than than the um, the typical interviews we've had on Rising Tide Startups. Glenn is further down the road than our average guest that we have, so I want you to really listen closely to the things he says and and even some of the things he doesn't say. Say the nuances that that uh, in in his answers that show just the qualities that it takes to to really succeed in. 
you know, this difficult entrepreneurial pathway that, that we're all trying to walk on at some level. And uh, Glenn, tell me a little bit about today. What, what exactly, what, what does a typical day in the life of Glenn Hirschfield look like? Okay. So it's a little bit schizophrenic. Um, so I Welcome to um, entrepreneurship. <clears throat> yeah. So, so my, my working life today consists of uh, two main activities. So I work with a number of the large global private equity firms, <clears throat> and I help them find things to buy. But if we park that for one second, so but but just so you're you're aware of that, um, but but they're looking for very large things to buy. So they're looking for check sizes of five hundred million dollars and above. Um, my business, my consultancy, deals with things that that are smaller than that. In fact, right the way down to businesses that that are looking to sell and or buy, maybe with a check size of two, three, four million dollars um, and and above. So um, we we see we, we will we will help businesses um, who are looking to sell, and similarly we spend a lot of our time talking to potential buyers of these businesses. Um, back in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, so that experience really prepared me because I got to meet some really interesting people, but got to understand how that world worked. Um, and the, if you like, the, um, I had a kind of a, a road to Damascus moment, effectively, mm -hmm. when I, 2009, 2010, I was being asked by a lot of friends who were looking to sell their businesses because the markets were so bad, and saying, could I help them? Because they'd seen what I'd been through and what I was doing in the markets. Right. Um, and I started to help them free. I was I didn't have a company, I it wasn't even a thought. It was certainly not a plan. And I helped them. And it was only when my wife Michelle one day said to me that um what what, what was I charging people for the advice I was giving them? And I said, well it, I'm just doing it for friends. And then a, a few weeks later I was helping somebody she said, so how do you know that person? And I said, well I, I don't. It's a friend of a friend. <laughs> and as only a wife could do, she suggested maybe we ought to set up a company to to make some some revenue out of this. And 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 so to encapsulate, to answer your question, we, we, we help businesses uh, both from when a very, very early stage, we help them get ready to grow, and we then help them when they're ready to buy. So we found a, we found an, a niche in the market, which is that um, most of the time people go into what they call a process. So they, they prepare a very gloss, a glossy uh, brochure about their business. Right. Uh, they invite maybe 10 people if, they, if they're interested in buying the company. Um, they ask them to put in a, an indicative bid for the business. Uh, that gets narrowed down to maybe three firms. And then there's a whole load of additional process and you have to qualify your bid and so on and so forth. And we realize that everybody, and I mean everybody, sellers and buyers hate that process. Mm. And we decided that what we would do is do something very different. And we would introduce... Uh, sellers personally to buyers so we would we would socialize a company into potential buyers we did a we did a lot of um a lot of work we burned a lot of shoe leather in going around the markets and finding out exactly what every single angel investor every single private equity firm every single venture capital firm exactly what they would they would look to buy and then we posed a question to them and said look if we bring people to you rather than sending you a hundred page document how do you feel about that? And every one of them said, we would love wow. that. 
Yeah. We'd love to get used, we'd love to meet these people face to face. We'd like to find out about what's going on in their business. We'd like to find out a bit about what the aspirations of the management team are. And, and in essence, Kevin, we saw that that was a business model for us that we could, we could pursue. So it, it was very important to us that we behaved ethically. Um, and we hoped that we had a good reputation in the market for being ethical. So if you, if you, if you like, there was a unique business model with an ethical wrap around it. Um, and since that time in, in 2008, 9, 10, um, we've now, we've now grown exponentially and we've been incredibly blessed to be able to help a number of firms sell their businesses. And it started off with small things. And quite recently we helped in a, in a, well, we were advising on a 50 million, um, uh, pounds. This is so around about $6 million, uh, transaction. So, so we, we, we've been very lucky, um, blessed, but we've in to, to a certain extent, I guess we've, we've listened and responded to the market in terms of uh, something that was never a plan. We just, I guess, used our ears and, and thought through what we could do that would differentiate our, our business from others. Let's, let's not, uh, let's not gloss over the, the things that you just said that I think are really key that uh, our listeners really need to focus on. And, I, and from time to time, I want to stop and, and just kind of recap some really salient points that I think you've made that I think will be helpful to our listeners. You, you talked about when, when Michelle brought you this idea and you started researching, you started doing some kind of the market research you know, phase of yep. what you needed to do, that you went out and asked the very people that you probably were going to market this to about what do you think about this idea? Is this idea viable? Is this something that you would actually pay for as a service? Is it something that is, that is addressing a, a, a specific pain point that you have? And that's just a crucial step in, in an entrepreneurial endeavor is to address a pain point that you recognize. The second thing you talked about is that, you know, you looked at the, um, the difficulties of, say, the 2008-2009 equity market and how, you know, the lessons that you learned in hearing all these no's and this, you know, the, the, the empty dance card analogy that you gave us. And, and you used that in 2015, 2016, 2017 that said, you know, I, the lessons I learned almost 10 years ago are now coming full circle to equip yeah. me to be able to address some of those same concerns in, in a different market, obviously, uh, in a much more growth market, you know, that we're in, in today. But is there anything else that, that, you know, you wanted to kind of recap and kind of circle back and say, yeah, I really want you to hear, you know, this point or two. So I, I just thought it was such a crucial moment in our interview that, that I wanted to just really camp on that for just a second. Yeah. So, so if I think about the advice that I give to firms, when I'm looking to help them grow their business, take it from a startup into something, and I think about what advice did I either listen to or or just decide I was going to embark upon a path, it is asking yourself, what problem do you solve as a business? Mm. So so everyone talks about differentiator, and some, some of that is, is um, marketing speak. But if you can clearly encapsulate um, within an elevator pitch, again, it's, it's marketing speak, but it, it's really important, particularly if you have a tech-based business. Um, most tech things we see, everyone's going to change the world. Well, um, Google did, Amazon have, um, and others are trying. Um, not everyone's going to change the world. So 
you need to be able to very succinctly say who you are, what you do, and the problems that, that you effectively are, are addressing. What is it that, that, that you, you as a company do? And if you can't answer that, um, then you, you need to read. So, so particularly, particularly, and, and everyone says, oh, you know, my company is not for sale. And then you say, so if I was writing you a check for 100 million, would you say it to me? He said, yeah, of course I would. <laughs> so, okay, so you're for sale. Um, the, the key is, is that when you, when you get to the point, and, and I would advise everyone to think about the end backwards rather than the beginning forwards. So you think about uh, what is the exit? And, and it may well be that you're involved in a social enterprise or it may be something philanthropic, in which case you want to carry on until the law calls you home. And that's fine. But for, for most people, most entrepreneurs, there is, a, there is an end point. So be thinking about what that end point might look like and be preparing for that. So by that, I mean, um, so if someone came along and said, uh, look, I'd really like to buy, what type of firm would you like to sell to? Um, what culturally would be the right fit for you? What would be the right number? There's a whole load of stuff. If you ask most businesses today, most entrepreneurs, um, they'll be thinking about uh, the day-to-day -day problems. There's HR problems, mm -hmm. there's cash flow problems, there's time management problems. Uh, for me, it's quite helpful to think about the end goal. What is it that's really driving you? And to try to, and it's really tough, but to try and think backwards from there. So that would be, wow. uh, if that's helpful. Yeah, that that's almost kind of the, what's the exit strategy? Um, you know, whether that's, whether that's, a, a selling the business or whether that's retiring from the business or whatever that, you know, legacy, you know, passing that on to, to yeah. family, whatever. So, yeah. well, Glenn, if you had to, if you had to identify, say one or two, you know, pain points that, that you all have, have faced since you started your consultancy that, that, you know, possibly some listeners could speak into, um, you know, we, we offer every, every episode, we offer the ability to, uh, you know, on our feedback form on our website for our listeners to to speak into. I mean, that's the unique selling point of the podcast is we want to proactively engage our audience, you know, in in offering feedback and let this it's kind of the the rising tide lifts all boats. We want the we want the tide of the crowd to to lift every interviewee, every business that we interview. So what are one or two just quick pain points that you could identify that that uh, you guys have faced that? Yeah, so um, I think we we early on we we were quite promiscuous in our in our business dealings. So we would <clears throat> we would get involved in in a whole load of deals that economically were not necessarily the right thing for us to do. And every fledgling young business is is vulnerable to that. So we sure. would get involved in things that were never going to pay us a decent paycheck, were going to to take up a lot of our time. So we were busy fools mm. in the early, in the early days. Um, very quickly, we thought through. Okay, I say quickly. Maybe actually more like two years. So it was a. a but we thought about what is our what is our economic offering? What is our contractual relationship with our clients? And we learned candidly. We weren't we weren't particularly clever. We learned through pain. We learned through. Um, so by way of example, we got involved in trying to help sell a business. Um, and along that journey, we helped to change their, their, the profitability of that firm by getting them better commercial deals with all the companies they dealt with. 
And we increased their profitability from, from about 1.5 million annual profit to over 3 million annual profit. And the guy said, Glenn, you've done a fantastic job. We, we're delighted. Thank you so much. Um, we're not going to sell the company now. Why would we? Because profit is now up and we're making such great margin. And we were left having just been charging a day rate. Mm. And that was, that was a note to self moment that said, we have to include in our contract uh, something that's called carried interest. In yeah. other words, if we manage to do something to somebody and we increase their profitability, we, we need to share a small proportion Some percentage of that. Of that yeah. yeah, that's great. So your question, your question is around pain points. And I think it's, it's a continual evaluation of the things that you start out doing, um, you learn from, you reevaluate, and you change. Um, and just um, surrounding yourself with smart people. So um, I see a lot of people who may be even trying to write their own business contracts. And yeah, the lawyers, the lawyers may want to charge us an obscene amount, but but the reason they do that is because they're good and they're mm -hmm. there to protect you. So we we put together a contract that protected us, protected our clients, and also articulated what we did. And that and that was quite a seismic change to the business. Um, uh, and I think the other, so that that would be pain point number one. We 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 had to just listen to some of the things that were happening to us and re and respond accordingly. Um, Second pain point, which I've really identified, which is the fact that um, learn quickly the path of least resistance for your business. So um, if you can, if you're, if, if monetary value is, is what you're aspiring to in building a profit within your business, which will, I suspect, speak to a number of your, of your uh, guests and listeners, um, then be thinking and questioning yourself and saying, are you spending sufficient time on the things that are likely to bring the greatest return? It's a really obvious thing to say, but but it's amazing how often you'll look at somebody and saying, so maybe we think about an insurance agent who is selling auto insurance and they're attracting people that pay three, four hundred dollars as a premium. They could just as easily be attracting people that pay two thousand dollars a time. Yeah. So a higher risk. To, so you say, why aren't you doing more of that than you are the the, the lower margin right. stuff? Right. And listen to the answer. There may well be a really good answer, and that and that's fine too. But but I, I would say that's something to think about. Well, I, I've got those down, and I clearly um, list those on the on the feedback form as we uh, as we pivot to the final portion of our interview here. And this is really kind of diving deeper into into Glenn Hirschfield. And so, Glenn, give me one one person um, that's. That maybe online, maybe somebody that has really uh, uh, served a unique role in your life as a as a mentor or whatever. But maybe somebody that we might know that is that really inspires you. Who's one person that you would say this person really inspires me? Okay, so so um, there's a there's a person in the UK. Market that I'll talk to you about two people that your listeners will know. So there's a guy called Peter Cullen who is who is a very very famous guy in the financial services market in the UK, and, and we're close friends. And and I have learned so much from him um, along my journey in terms of uh, particularly c commercial things. Just uh, he's uh, very generous with his time, um, and I would say that if you can find somebody that you that you know 
uh, they don't have to be well known as Peter is, but somebody who who you can share in what they exactly what you're doing with the podcast. But but if you can find somebody that that can be a they may know, not know that they're a mentor, but if you can find that, that's great. In terms of people that you would know, um, <clears throat> I'm going to pick two political people, but but people that I I genuinely I love listening to people that are good orators mm-hmm. uh, and people that have a good social conscience. And so I I would pick um, Tony Blair, mm-hmm. who I follow, uh, and we we've been very blessed to uh, support his wife's uh, charity foundation. Um, and so we we've been able to meet them and find out a bit about them and that. So I, I follow what they do with great interest, and I would say also Barack Obama as well. So similarly, somebody that I I love. I I mean I think it was an amazing moment. Um, forgetting about what, what your political persuasion is, but just uh, having the first um, African American uh, president was just an amazing thing, and that and that journey. Um, through into becoming elected and I've managed a chance to read a number of his books and listen to his speeches and and they he and Tony Blair both uh, inspire me enormously very very winsome communicators for sure uh, Tony yeah. Blair the former prime minister of of the UK um, and played a role in in Europe as well in the European Parliament correct was the correct. what what is the lead of the European Parliament so well, actually, Blair more recently has been involved in as a as a um, as an ambassador in the Middle East, um, trying right. to to broker um, some of the peace initiatives that have been that driven there. And he now he now sits um, and has a view around what's going on with the UK coming out of Europe, and um, you know, without going into politics. But but he he's I think. Uh, Certainly, he will offer an alternative view to the prevailing view about about what's happening. And certainly, uh, you know, we try and teach our kids. It's always very helpful to consider a number of views before you decide which way you're going to go. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, he, he speaks a lot on Europe. Um, he's not involved quite so much now in terms of Europe, but he, he just speaks a lot of sense. So tell me a, a life quote that inspires you that, I mean, you have something that's like taped on your computer or something that did just a... Kind of a one-line thing that you look at every day, and you think this this is really kind of the mantra that I want to live life by. Uh, I, I would say there are two. Um, I would say the Latin um, "carpe diem." Yep. Seize the day. Yep. Um, so you know we just don't know what, when we're going to get called home. So make the best that you can, both in terms of what you're doing with your family, what you're doing at work, what you're doing personally. Seize the day, make the day the best day you can possibly make it. And then I think the other, um, it's not a necessarily a saying, but it's um, something that uh, um, a book that I read, the book is called The Ten Second Rule. Um, and I have that book based on your wife's recommendation. Yeah, yeah. And this is about um, when we have something that comes into our mind that we should we should respond quickly to it, not think, well, uh, I maybe might do that tomorrow or the day after. Um, and as you might imagine, it's saying, if you haven't done it within 10 seconds, the chances are you're not going to. Mm. There is a strong commercial and Christian um, uh, kind of bias towards the book. However, in the business environment, it works too. 
So when you when you have something that intuitively you you're thinking, um, just just don't don't hesitate. Um, trust your intuition and and go for it. Um, don't ponder because I think you you you'll often find that you will repent at leisure. If your antennae is good, then you'll make a lot of good decisions. If it's not so good, then you'll soon learn. Uh, you you are just full of one line. I mean, repent at leisure. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Glenn, I I uh, I know that your time is valuable, and and uh, I am just very grateful for you taking the time today. What what's the best way that our listeners, if they wanted to get in touch with you, what's the best way to find you online? The name of your company, consultancy, if okay. if they have um, a business they want to sell. Yeah. So so we are an ALJ Consulting Limited. ALJ. ALJ, yeah, ALJ Consulting Limited, mm-hmm. um, and anyone that Google's that will be able to find us. It's a business that myself and Michelle, my wife, run. It's a jointly owned business, um, and, and uh, there'll be an email there. They can they can ping me an email. Uh, be be very happy to answer any questions, and if we can be of some help, we'd be delighted to. And I'll I'll have the I'll have that uh, that website on our show notes on the on the your episode page on the, on the rising tide startups page. So Glenn, thank you again. And, um, I just want to leave you with this one thought that, um, I, I think I would be convinced to sell rising tide startups for a couple of mil. If you have somebody that, uh, I mean, the value of it is somewhere between zero and 2 million right now. So if you have someone that just has more dollars than cents, as we say, that uh, you just send them my way and, and we'll certainly give you a share of the profits. So we'll definitely bear that in mind. All right. <laughs> nice Glenn, to talk to you. Hey, thanks again for your time. And, and listeners, it's your turn to uh, look at our feedback and, and offer feedback on these pain points that, that will be listed on the site and, and uh, just really listen to this episode closely. And it's, it is truly full of, of wise golden nuggets that uh, you can certainly apply in at any stage of your startup. So Glenn, thanks again for just helping rising tide. And just as, as we like to say, all boats rise in a rising tide. Glenn, have a good day. Thank you.